All right, let's uh, let's turn together to Romans chapter twelve, and uh, we're going to start there. Romans twelve one and two. Uh, tonight we are talking about the doctrine of sanctification. So we've talked about uh, justification. Right? We've been talking about the doctrine of salvation. And so we talked about conversion, our response to the gospel. We repent of our sin. We turn to Christ. We trust in Him. We talked about justification, which is what happens the moment you're converted, the moment you believe you're declared righteous by God, your sins are forgiven, and Christ's righteousness is credited to you um, so that you are righteous in God's sight. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about what happens next. So we... You've been converted, you've been saved, you're, you're righteous in God's sight, your sins have been forgiven, now what? And the word that we use to describe the now what is this word sanctification, right? And you can hear uh, in that word uh, the same uh, beginning that we have in the word uh, sanctuary or something that is sanctified or uh, a more negative word like sanctimonious, right? Is somebody who's uh, sounds holier than thou or sounds too holy. A sanctuary is a holy place. Uh, sanctification, uh, what we mean by that word um, is the process of growing in holiness. Or another way to say it is the process of growing to be more like Christ. So once you are saved... At that moment, you begin the process of sanctification. You begin the process of growing to become uh, more like Christ. Now, when you come across the word sanctification in the Bible, uh, sometimes it's referring to that process. uh, Sometimes maybe referring to uh, not a process, but a... um, a designation for an object like this object has been sanctified it's used in the temple it is our, it has been set apart once for all as something that's holy so not every time you find the word sanctified or sanctification in the bible does it have this particular meaning sometimes it does um, but when we when we're talking about the process of salvation this is what we mean by by the word sanctification the the, the process of becoming more like Christ, or the process of growing in holiness. Uh, one way to think about this <clears throat> that uh, can be helpful um, is that uh, in, in more than one of Paul's letters, what you have in the first half of the letter is Paul's description of how you get saved, right? What happened when God saved you? Uh, justification, adoption, reconciliation, all those things that God does when we first believe. A lot of times the first half of the letter, Paul is reminding us what God has done to save us. And then the second half of the letter takes a turn where Paul says, now that you are saved, here's how you should live. Now that God has made you his, he's forgiven you of your sin, he's made you a new creation, now here's how a new creation Lives. And so a lot of times the first half of the book is about, roughly, is about the gospel, how we get saved. And then the second half is about how to live in light of the gospel, how to live as somebody who has been saved. In that way, it's very similar to the book of Exodus, right? First, it describes how God saved his people from Egypt. 
And then after he brings them out of Egypt, he says, okay, now here are my commandments. Here's what I expect you to do. Paul's letters work uh, the same way uh, in some sense. So in Romans... Romans, it's not, in Romans, it's not half. It's more like two-thirds and then a third. But in Romans, the first 11 chapters describe uh, the gospel, how God saves us. There is some uh, description of sanctification as well. We talked about this some in Romans chapter 6 in our sermons on Sunday mornings. Romans 6 is a lot about sanctification. Uh, but at, sort of in general, it's, it's a lot about what God has done to save us. Um, in 9, 10, 11, it's a lot of what God's going to do for Israel. And then in chapter 12, he takes this practical turn to say, here's now how you should live now that you've been saved. So here's what he says, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So therefore, meaning because of everything I've said about what God has done to save you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So because of God's mercy he's poured out on you in Christ, in saving you, I am pleading with you to give yourself wholly and totally to God as your uh, reasonable worship. Your reasonable response of glorifying the God who has saved you. Well, What does that look like? Practically, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. So don't let the world shape the way that you live, the way that you think, the way that you act. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, Don't let the world shape you. Let your mind continually be renewed. And the way you're going to do that is through the scriptures, right? Whether you're hearing them read or reading them for yourselves. The the scriptures, the truth of God's word is what's renewing your mind. And as your mind is renewed by God's word, your life is transformed as you live out what God has said. And then you enter into this process of learning to discern from what you've heard in the scriptures, what is God's will? What is pleasing to God? The kinds of things God wants you to do, right? So this is, this is very much a process, right? Justification is not a process. Conversion is not really a process, right? It's, there's, a, there's a point whether you, you know, can point to the time or whatever or not. There's at least roughly a time when you recognize your sin and you turn to Jesus and ask him to save you, right? Um, and, and trust it in him. And at that moment, you are justified. But sanctification is not something that happens in a moment. Um, sanctification is something that happens as you read the Bible and try to live out the Bible and get it right sometimes, get it wrong sometimes, learn from your mistakes, learn from others, learn more about what God wants you to do. It's a process of growing, maturing, being renewed, being transformed to be more and more like Christ as you go. Um, Then uh, turn uh, over a couple of books to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, verse 18. This is a... 
another way of describing the same thing, really, that Paul has just said. Second <clears throat> Corinthians three eighteen. <clears throat> Paul has been talking about the difference between the old covenant that God made with Israel through Moses and the new covenant that He's now made with us through Christ, and the difference between those two. And <clears throat> one of the things that's different in the new covenant is now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, working inside of us. And, uh, and here's what he, he says as well in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. He says, and we all, that is all of us new covenant believers, all of us Christians, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, Moses had a veiled face, right? After he saw God's glory, he had to veil his face when he came down to the Israelites because his face was glowing. We have an unveiled face, right? We get to gaze upon the glory of God. And the way we do that, Paul says later, is through Jesus Christ. And the way that we gaze upon Christ is through the Word, right? Reading about what he did and um, what he's accomplished for us and whatnot. So it's very similar to what Paul's saying about renewing our mind in Romans chapter 12, here he says, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we do that, we are being transformed. We're being changed, right? Same idea as Romans 12. We're being changed into the same image, meaning into Jesus's image. So we're looking at Jesus, right? We're learning about him. We're uh, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, our attention is being drawn to Christ, to his character, to his work, all these things. And as we are um, gazing upon the glory of who he is and what he's done, that is changing us, right? That is transforming us um, into the same image so that we look like Jesus. He says, from one degree of glory to another, right? So it's not an automatic, you, you know, you behold the glory of Jesus one time and automatically you become a mature Christian. This is not the way it works. It's one degree after another. It's a little bit here, a little bit more patience, a little bit more love, a little bit more joy, a little bit more peace. It's a gradual process of becoming more and more like him the more we look to him, the more that we behold him, the more that we um, cause our, our minds and the eyes of our hearts to dwell upon who Jesus is, the more that... Um, affects us. This is um, so. This is kind of a um, an odd comparison, but I'm just throwing this out there to give you uh, sort of another mental image of how this works. Um, some of you have maybe seen uh, the side by side pictures that people put up of people and their dogs, you know, and they talk about how like people and their dogs they they start to look like each other, you know, and husbands and wives same kind of thing like. We, we start to, if not look like each other, we start to talk like each other. We start to have similar mannerisms and similar concerns. And what, the more you're with a person or an animal or whatever, you know, whatever, um, there's, a, there's a transformation that seems to take place that we begin to become like what we spend a lot of time with or who we spend a lot of time with. And that's what Paul is saying on an obviously infinitely more important and better plane, right? He's saying... 
the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you're thinking about Jesus, the more you're looking to Jesus, the more you are being changed uh, into being like him. As you behold him, you become uh, like he is. All right. Um, another passage is in Ephesians. So turn uh, a couple more books over past Galatians to Ephesians chapter four. This is another book um, where, in fact, this is really the sort of the classic example where Ephesians one through three is about how God saves us. And Ephesians four through six is about how we live out that salvation. Now there's some, you know, crossover in, in both of those parts, but that's a pretty safe distinction. So he begins uh, chapter 4, verse 1, after he's given this beautiful description of the gospel in the first three chapters. He says in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's not talking about like being called to ministry. That's like being called to salvation. So All believers have been called to Christ. And so he says, you've been called with this glorious calling. And so now you need to walk in a way that's consistent with that calling. You need to walk in a way that's worthy of somebody who has been showered with the love and grace and mercy of God. And I'm about to tell you what that looks like. But first, I'm going to tell you this is what you ought to do, right? So urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, living like Jesus, right? Loving like he loved, being patient like he was patient, being humble like he was humble, right? Walk in a way that's worthy of that calling. Well, how does that happen? Is that an automatic thing? No, it's not an automatic thing. I go down to verse 11, and we see some of how this takes place. Paul says, he's talking about Jesus. He gave, Jesus gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the reason why God has placed evangelists and pastors and teachers um, in the church is to uh, equip Christians to do ministry, right, and to help build those Christians up, to help build up the body of Christ through teaching, through counseling, through all the different things that they do, so that we all become mature like Christ, right? So that we all become as Christ-like as it's possible for us to be. So another way to think about sanctification, one, one way is to think about it as a process of growth. Um, another is just slightly different ways. Think of it as a process of maturity, right? It's a growing up process. He says um, in verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children, right? When we, when we first get saved, we call people uh, baby Christians, right? Someone's a baby Christian when they just got saved. They don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know, um, you know, they don't know some of the things they're supposed to do, some of the things they're not supposed to do. And children are very vulnerable, right? They're not very good at being what they're supposed to be yet. And they're very easily deceived. 
And so Paul says, you don't want to be children anymore. He goes on, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, you don't want to be an immature Christian who doesn't know the things he's supposed to know about Jesus so that other people come along and lead you astray, telling you, well, you can follow Jesus and do this, or, you know, following Jesus looks like that, and they're making up stuff that's not biblical. Paul says you want to be a, um, growing and maturing uh, so that you become more and more like Jesus, so that when someone tries to come lead you astray with some false teaching, some, um, you know, a false idea of what the Christian life looks like, you go, I'm not going to listen to that because I know that's not how it works. I know that's not what Jesus said. I know that's not what Jesus expects me to do. And so I'm not going to listen to you because I have grown. I've matured because I've been taking in right, uh, and, and benefiting from the gifts that Jesus has given to the church, namely the evangelists and shepherds and teachers and so on. Right, so it's a process of growth. And then uh, later, a few verses later, he uses a slightly different image. Um, starting in uh, verse 20, he's talking about the Gentiles, unsaved Gentiles who live sinful lives. And he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here you go. To put off... Your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed, there's that idea of renewal again, in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we've been seeing this in Paul, right? That you, when you become a Christian, your old self dies and you become a new creation. And... If that's as far as we got, we would think, great, my old self is dead. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm a new creation. I'm going to be just like Jesus. This will be wonderful. Well, unfortunately, that's not the way that it works, right? Paul says, your old self is dead. You're a new creation, but here's what you have to do. You have to decide every day and in some sense every moment which one of those selves you're going to be. Because your old self, though it's dead, it's still with you. And you still remember how that old self behaved, and it's very easy for you to fall back into behaving the way you used to behave before. So here's what you need to do. Pretend like your old self is a set of dirty clothes that you've been wearing while you've been working out in the yard, and it's filthy and sweaty and stained and all the rest. You need to take that off every day, every moment that you're tempted to act like you used to act. Put off that old self, put off those dirty clothes, and put on your new self, right? your new identity in Christ, who you are in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Put on that new self and um, be renewed <clears throat> to me in the spirit of your minds. So it's a, it's a process of maturity. It's a process of growing. It's a process of, of putting to death your old life and embracing your new life. All those <clears throat> are healthy ways uh, of thinking about <clears throat> the doctrine of sanctification. So, we could say more, right? We could keep going, but my voice is warning me that it's time to stop. Um, so,